This week, we're talking about established characters and how to run them. And we talk about families. Anakin Skywalker turns up. And the women. And the children, too. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Speak Common, proudly brought to you in partnership with the Dice Dungeon UK, where you can get yourself some really nice uh, metal crafted dice and now brand new resin sets too. We're going to be talking a little bit about them uh, later on in the episode and uh, over the next few episodes, I think, something is stirring. More on that later. Joe, how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. You know, uh, just... (laughs) Just carrying on. Just carrying on. I, I was just looking through my uh, like my reminders mm-hmm. on my phone, um, and then I've so my first one is buy knee cream. I have an injured knee, oh, uh, not really relevant to this conversation, but I thought I'd bring it up. But then I also have prep D and D game for Tuesday. Tuesday not spelled correctly. Must mm-hmm. have been in a hurry when writing that one down. Um, just because I was afraid I would forget I was even running it, and then. <laughs> Tuesday would come and I'd be like, oh no, oh, that's me. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. yes. Uh, so that's kind of what I've been up to. Uh, knee cream and D&D, basically. It's a good mix. It's a good, um, I've, I've heard knee cream goes really well with D&D, so. Well, yeah, it's, I can confirm that is uh, mm. factual. Mm. Well, I've been, uh, I've, oh, God, I've spent the last, I think like five days just doing presentations for interviews and it's been like you know when you you have to do it and like you get into it and then you don't do anything else so I found out my first interview was going to be I found out when I had my first interview a day and a half before the interview and they were like oh by the way we'd like you to do a 10 minute presentation listen to this these two hour clips of audio they give me two of them so four hours and then pitch us this this and this and I was like (laughs) oh okay um and then literally i started looking at their brief and the next one came in it was like we'd like to talk to you on friday can you please do this 10 minute presentation and this pitch i was like oh okay um but i i managed to rather cheekily double my time because my sister's over in new zealand at the moment and she used to work in the industry so i basically said to her look here's the brief here's what i'm doing i'm going to do a load of work and then each morning and night we had like a a little meeting and then she just i gave her a list of changes to make and she made them for me so i like doubled my time thanks to time zones that's um, uh, that's nice oh, mate it, it made a difference so i've had two interviews now i've got another one on monday um and then i'm waiting for another two to come through but god it's just i said to i said to to the group and i said to myself like i'm gonna make sure that i've got all my prep for monday done on saturday like i spent all day on it so that i can just have a day off today so I'm really glad that I've managed to pull that off. That's nice. That's nice. I I felt similarly when I was training for some um, aptitude tests and I was just so in the weeds with it that basically just couldn't, couldn't functionally think or do anything else. You know, I couldn't like make a tea, but you know, look, Ben, if the aircraft was traveling at 240 miles an hour, okay, going to Alpha, and it had it was burning 40 gram, 40 milligrams of fuel per minute, and I needed to know how many it was going to burn in four hours. You know, I mean, I could tell you that, Ben, mm. but yeah. I couldn't tell you how to make the tea. Do you okay. know what was? Do you know what was really nice? Uh, yesterday, no, was it yesterday evening? I think it was yesterday evening. Just as I was like, 
I'd done everything and I'd sat down for the night. Um, a guy that I met when I went to talk about the podcast on uh, BBC Norfolk, he messaged me and he's he's quite new to D&D. So he messaged me occasionally. He says like, has this been made or should I homebrew it? And then I'll usually go, ah, let me tell you about something from 20 years ago in D&D that you can use. And we just have fun conversations. He was... Um, he was telling me about his his first session in his new world and and bits and bobs and he set it in wild mount and i don't know how we got there but we i i did the thing joe where i bring up Spelljammer, and he was like oh tell me more like i'm interested i was like are you do you really are you sure and he's like yeah go on tell me so i sent him a voice note because it's infinitely easier to speak about Spelljammer than it is to type it out and i listened to them back and i was like oh i sound like i'm on crack like (laughs) but then he spoke to me this morning so i don't think i scared him off so that's that's good but it was so nice to like think about something that i know a lot about that isn't connected to my job for once yeah i mean i i my my knowledge is limited on most things so Mm. it is nice when you can um espouse some uh some dialogue about something that you know you like but uh, not necessarily being paid for it's uh, those are, those are rare moments. You have got to cherish those. Absolutely, there's a difference between a hobby and a job. And God, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it this week. Um, should we talk about something uh, that we know a lot about and not get paid for it? <laughs> Story of my life. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, last week you mentioned towards the end of the episode about running into a certain many-eyed crime lord of Undermountain and and Skullport and Waterdeep and I wanted I want to hear you talk about it because it, it will not only reaffirm that I ran the session well but also remind me what we did last session before we play later and I thought what we could do is talk about that experience and then talk about how to run NPCs whether they're good or bad that have an established law like if you pick up Waterdeep Dragon Heist or if you pick up Tim Annihilation how do you approach running a Serac? How do you approach running Strad? You know, these NPCs that have a lot of history. Hmm. Hmm. How does that sound to you? Well, yeah, no, it sounds good. I mean, it, I, mean, I suppose we'll start with uh, Xanathar. Mm-hmm. So uh, Xanathar is a beholder and he is the, basically the, the kingpin of Wardeep. That's, that's a good setup, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. He's a big, big, uh, big scary creature. Um, he's a little bit unhinged, as all um, beholders are, to some degree. Though I would say he's actually fairly highly functioning for a beholder, uh, more so than others. Yeah, um, he's he's more he's more paranoid than anything else. Yeah, yeah, but he's uh, he kind of gets over his... Um, feeling of superiority enough to work with other people um well enough and so basically my character a little wee thief if you will um they wouldn't brand himself as that label uh was uh, coming into contact with xanatha they had a bit of a deal going on or but here's the thing he went into this social engagement with no guarantee that he would live you know, there was a, a there was a chance of, of vaporization, and uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, level six rogues or probably any level rogues are not really equipped to deal deal with that. To be honest, um, so he had to 
talk his way out of it. And I find that sometimes, I don't know, I guess uh, conversational elements of the game can, when they're a bit adversarial and you're, or you're trying to win a conversation, they can kind of just come down to, well, what's your charisma? You know, what's your charisma score? And you can you will either win or lose. Now it feels almost like you're playing a obsidian RPG or something, right? And you're just doing speech checks, um, which is not ideal, to be honest. And they can work sometimes for more basic encounters, but in an encounter like this, I appreciated the fact that the actual words I was saying, the ideas, and trying to be creative and charming and uh, almost seductive for this mm. beholder and, and playing to his his whims and his um his likes and whatnot was aiding me in the conversation and I basically went in there with no cards and he was holding all the cards um and by the end we had much more even hands just because I'd managed to crawl my way to that higher social status and demonstrate my worth without angering him too much and that was done then now there were there were a few uh persuasion checks and deception checks i think um which i was just fortunate to roll high on because i didn't have particularly good stats in those uh, i think i had like plus ones in almost all of them oh. and and basically those had an effect but i mean you can tell me ben but it felt like even if i had failed those the the intent behind the words I was saying and what I was actually saying was not going to be completely discarded, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so going into a conversation that I know is going to mean something to both the story and the characters and the progression of the game, I'm never going to base it down on, you know, if you roll high, you win, and if you roll low, you lose. Because you're not... Yes, there, there is a game sense to, to, to the role play but it's um it's not like you've you, it's not that lineal it's not a 50 50 chance you know i mean it's never 50 50 but you know what i mean there, there's never a right answer and a wrong answer especially when you're having a conversation and i want my conversations to feel like they are actual conversations with actual people or creatures that have things that they want and things that they want to do and achieve so there were times when I got you to roll deception or, or, or uh, what's the word? Um, persuasion. Thank you. Persuasion. Um, but, you know, if you failed that, it wasn't that you said the wrong thing because you might have said the right thing. It just might be that if you were trying to deceive him, the Xanathar would hear what you were saying, but also know that there was something not quite true about what you were saying. So he might still, you know, you might say, okay, well, if I if I got the Stone of Galore, I would definitely give it to you and fail. And then he would say, right, okay, well, now I know that you're thinking about going for something that I want. And even though you're saying you might not give it to me, if I work with you now, I can just kill you later. Mm, yeah. And, I mean, I do... I go for social checks. I think about it this way. I think... You know how you just know some people in your life that sort of regard they they often get their own way just because regardless of what they say or how they say it or whatnot they just 
they just come across as very charming and very disarming and they're just quite likable people right mm. so uh you, you maybe you feel good to be around them or they just they're very persuasive in their arguments regardless of how of what they're even really saying it's more just how they're saying it. they're just naturally gifted speakers in that way right and people are drawn towards them um just that raw charisma and so you've got that but then there are also people i know who have basically no charisma whatsoever but they can make very, they can make very strong arguments right so yeah. they still get what they want and for, for me that's like and then obviously if you have both then you're golden basically right you you have you have everything you need um but you can have one or the other and still succeed and that's how i kind of run uh social checks in my game like a player might be making a very persuasive argument i get them to make a persuasion check and that's just that i'm just then looking at okay that number tells me sort of how the delivery was yeah but the content is still there right yeah uh and if i'm if a character is playing to an npc's emotions they're still going to be playing to that npc's emotions it just maybe might be slightly more effective if they come across as really likable in that moment right or uh very sympathetic or whatever mm. um so that's generally how i, I run um, or try to run sort of social checks in that environment is uh, that's why I, I don't really like deception checks a lot of the time in where well, a lot of how i pe- see people run it is either you lie and then you either they either know you're lying or they or they or they don't right but mm. that's not how it goes uh, no i like to have it a little bit more granular than that so especially for players rolling at like a, an insight check. Um, even if they roll really well, I'm not going to give them an sort of unequivocal, okay, yes, this person's definitely lying. I, but I can tell them you, you get vibes just like in real life, right? When someone's being a bit shifty or a bit shady, you, mm-hmm. you can feel it. So I might just say, look, you're getting these feelings. And that will be the same for the NPCs. They might be getting some really dodgy feelings from the players, but they're, they're not, they can never be sure, right? You can't know, know someone's lying or, or I will very rarely. Yeah, I will sometimes say, okay, yes, you know, this person is telling you a lie. It, I mean, it depends on the situation. Most of the time for me, deception and, um, and insight is more about, it. like you say, it's about that feeling. It's about that delivery. It's okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, but my gut tells me something different. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the way you've said it or the way you're looking to the left, like I've picked up something doesn't feel right here. It's not, oh, this person's clearly lying to me. Because when have you ever been out and known that someone was definitely lying to you? You never know that. Yeah, no, that's pretty rare. Um but, you know, occasionally so, I will drop that, yeah, this person's lying to you because either they know that person really well or they have a really high insight or they've rolled really, really well and it's not going to break anything, then I'll give them a little win every now and then. Well, that's the thing. I suppose there are extreme ends to the spectrum and that's a good point is how well do they actually know this NPC uh, and taking that into account, right? So uh, you could like you guys in in my campaign um obviously have been with sigrid an npc for like a long long time now mm. and you, you know him pretty well a lot of his barriers have been broken down so whereas at the start of the campaign he he basically lied to you all the time and you basically you guys could basically never tell because you had no reason to suspect otherwise right mm-hmm. i mean you sort of knew he was lie but you he lied so much you couldn't tell <laughs> what was real what was false um but now you 
you've seen him in a more earnest and honest way. So then if he ever tries to lie to you in the future, you have that to compare to. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a much greater idea and sense of when he's being truthful and whatnot. So I, I tried to take that into account as well, the the sort of existing relationship in a lot of this. Um, and especially, but then it sort of goes vice versa as well. Like when players will often lie to each other and we'll do sort of like opposed deception inside checks and stuff. But because they also know each other so well, they know how they should be behaving around each other right so it kind of evens the playing field there again mm-hmm. um and then in that case yeah you probably would say okay this person's lying or or you know you're getting really dodgy vibes or whatever uh so there's plenty of ways to run it but i just think that yeah checks shouldn't be the be all end all i mean if you if a player has invested a lot in charisma and, and getting like expertise in those skills and whatnot you want them to feel useful so i'm not saying like make them completely inferior skill choices or something that's not going to be as advantageous or useful as the player perceives them to be. Mm. So that's kind of a conversation to have with the player and see what their expectations of so using those are going to be. A really good example of that is in our group, uh, Wesley plays a character named Brom. Brom has a very high passive insight. And he, we were, we were, We'd been playing for for a while and he, he kept saying like, oh, can I just use my passive insight because it's higher? And I was like, okay, let's talk about how passive insight actually works. So we had to sit down and say like, look, this is how it, it works. If you are asking me if someone's lying, I'll say, okay, make an insight check because you're actively trying to see. But if a NPC is lying to you in a conversation and you are not aware as a player, I will roll a deception check for them. And if, it, if they don't beat your insight, then I'll give you something. And when we had that conversation, he then turned around and said, oh my God, I didn't realize you were rolling deception checks for the NPCs when they're lying. And I'm like, yeah, because they're trying to lie to you. They're trying to beat your passive perception or the passive insight of of what you would normally use as your active. So having that conversation and talking about how those mechanics actually worked when you know we haven't i mean this campaign i think we've used this is a very social campaign so we've used social mechanics a lot a lot more than we ever have before so actually sitting down and discussing them really sort of ironed out the expectation which i think is just you know and that's fine you don't have to do that in a session zero stuff like that pops up halfway through games or halfway through campaign arcs so a refresher is never a bad thing Mm. and it's interesting i mean i don't just because of the specific concept of his character um I don't think it, it could ever be sort of game breaking or take away that tension from those conversations because he's such a he's like such an earnest character. Mm. It's in narrative that he would quite recognise when other people are not being honest, and he calls them out on it too, which is good fun as well. Yeah, but it's like, but because he's so uh, he's such like a simple guy, um, he's not like deducing all the nuances of every conversation he's just pulling out the raw like you know liar you know (laughs) like like the emotion uh, yeah exactly and and then that gives other players once they've been informed of that opportunities to follow up on it with the more Mm -hmm. sort of complex questioning um or interrogate interrogating or whatever the scene may may require so that's uh it's a funny and interesting dynamic there um is he so? Is his passive insight actually higher than his insight, or does he just like not want to risk rolling for it? Basically, no, and not getting above a ten. His, what does he think? His passive insight is, I 
think it's like 16, 17. It might even be 18. It's quite high. But he... and so He, he's, he probably just has a 6 or an 8 then, plus yeah, yeah. on his inside. And, he's, and he doesn't want to roll. Yeah, the thing is that Wesley's... Bless him, he's cursed. He can't roll high. So no. he, he just doesn't... He doesn't want to roll, basically. And that is actually true. Like, we're not, we're not jesting. No, he, we're not joking. It's statistically rolls tremendously low often we we I, i've tried everything we've tried getting him new dice we've tried blessing them we've tried <laughs> like multiple characters multiple games over over the last five years he he consistently rolls low so yeah i would say i would say like if it was if it was on like 100 percent average like 100 percent being very high rolls um I would honestly put him at like 30%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, oh, it's, it's crazy. It is really crazy. But he makes um, up for it in other places. He's so good at character design and role play and all that stuff. So, you know. Yeah. He has to base his characters around the minimum amount of RNG as possible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's sad, but I, I really, I love it. I love it so much. Um, So look, you guys have met uh quite a handful of well-known established npcs now in waterdeep so you've you've met the xanatha you are the only party member to actually meet the xanatha although brom was in your pocket as a mouse he didn't see him um you've met the black staff you've met uh jarlaxle you've bumped into the castellanters like you're meeting well castellanters less so but you're meeting well-informed characters Dernan at the Yawning Portal all of these these historic characters how do you think as as a player and um, be honest how do you see them compared to other NPCs like do you get a feeling of of presence and gravitas or is it just like they're any NPC well I mean I don't like know too much about um like Forgotten Realms or any real settings um sort of characters and lore essentially right mm-hmm. uh i you know because i don't run any of these games i'm just playing them and i don't i'm really read any of the books or whatnot right uh so my my knowledge on how they sort of quote unquote should be represented is is limited in that um sense but i suppose that um comparing them to other say non-famous npcs and whatnot i suppose there's just a feeling that they are fleshed out as a dm and as someone who's dm for quite a while now you can sort of tell where the dm you're playing whose whose game you're playing where they've put their effort in the world Mm. right because you can't it's difficult to spread it out completely evenly and i don't think you want to do that and obviously everyone's limited on time and effort to some degree so naturally some parts of the D game will be more focused on than others and that's the same with npcs some npcs will have more depth to them than others and obviously the better you are as a dm the more you can sort of obscure that right and mm-hmm. and uh, sort of perform well across the board but it's not really possible to because i mean if you've got if you've practiced being this character for four hours and have pages of lore on him you're probably going to just play him in a way that's different and perhaps more fleshed out than the, this kind of no-named NPC you've, you've pulled up, sort of, you know, pulled out your ass on the fly, basically. <laughs> um, and so there, you can tell that to some degree, right? You can tell that these more specific NPCs have had 
more thought put into their mannerisms and just you can tell that they've been almost lived in for longer mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. and have have a more weathered feeling to them uh especially like especially characters like Dernan and whatnot you, you do feel like he's kind of been there just forever uh he quite literally has he he um he's human but because of his past adventures into undermountain he's kind of like kind of cursed to just sort of forever be there yeah and like i say he so he you get that feeling from him there's a sense of history there which uh obviously for some other characters you don't get as much of um so i suppose that's the benefit you get that i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because from on from like a meta player point of view you feel oh i'm I'm getting exposed to this uh, this special person right now, right? You know, yeah. or you you get a feeling when it's uh, you get that. It's like in a you know a video game and they bust out the pre-rendered cutscene. You're like, oh, I spent some money on this one, boys. <laughs> I better pay attention. <laughs> this one matters. Don't don't skip through this one. I think yeah. as well. There's because there's two kinds of people you're going to present a named NPC to. There's there's people like you who don't have much experience with the realms, and there's people like me and James who who will gobble up any piece of information they can find to use themselves. And I I think it's I enjoy presenting a a piece of history to both because I like giving it to new players and seeing what they make of it and then seeing if they want to ask questions. And then I like presenting it to people like James because he'll say, he won't say anything, but like on the webcam, I'll know he's looking at my face and I'll look at him and he'll give me a little, a little like knowing like smile or a nod like, yeah, that was cool. Like, cheers, mate. Yeah, that was, that's really cool that my character has come in contact with that. So for me, um, in Descent, we recently interacted with Mordenkainen, a very, very famous wizard, famously, uh, you know, oh, oh God, if you don't know who Mordenkainen is, what are, you, go, what are you doing? Go and, Joe, do you know who Mordenkainen is, mate? Do you? Nah, not really. I know he's got a book out, but other than that, not really, no. Okay, so Mordenkainen was Gary Gygax's character. Um, mm-hmm. And then he mm-hmm. became, you know, just just part of the game when God. when it got, got bought by whoever bought it and then sold and then bought. Like, he's, he's history. And um, You're I, such a fucking nerd. I know, I know. <laughs> and I've run Mordenkane in a number of times because he appears in different adventures, but I've never met him as a player. So it was really, it's really fun for me as someone who knows the history there to role play against someone being that NPC. So, you know, there's what, what I'm saying is there's two different types of people and they're both a lot of fun to present it to. What happened? Was, well, when was, I, when he nice, was he a nice bloke or? Modern is a bit of a dick, to be honest. He's um he's very he's neutral. He's very neutral, and he's all about maintaining the balance, the cosmic balance amongst the planes. So, like, if for example, the the example that's used in Time of Foes is the Blood War, right? So, the, the demons and the and the devils fighting endlessly. You might think, oh, it would be a good idea to stop that from happening because it spills out into the material plane, but he would say no don't don't stop that from happening it actually let's go and help the demons oh no now today we're going to help the devils because you want to keep it going because that forms a balance and it keeps everything balanced throughout the multiplanes so it's like uh, he he will he play both sides and he will completely play you off whatever he needs to to get what he needs from you so he can be an absolute ass but he's also you know extremely powerful and he knows a lot of people so good person to know Hmm. 
Interesting. See now, here's the thing though. So that's that's the law, right? That's what exists. And by no means do you have to stick by that. You can change it completely. Obviously, what happens at your table is happening at your table. It's not going to be going anywhere else. So bloody hell, if you want to make him the nicest man alive, do it, you know? Yeah. I mean that I mean that, that's kind of fun when you're playing established universes. For instance, um I was playing in the Star Wars game yesterday, mm-hmm. which obviously has lots of pre-established characters, and that is a world I know a fair bit about. So, although we've not you know, bumped into Luke Skywalker or Han or anything, because that would be a bit hokey, uh, we have come into contact, even with not characters, but like objects and stuff, like X-Wings or lightsabers, right? Yeah. Uh, established properties in the world. You treat them with a different degree of sort of Respect. reverence yeah that you that you wouldn't perhaps other things and it, it's fun how um i don't know it's just it, it's it is fun to see that stuff and then you play in a game with it and have it being presented to you in a certain way and uh like hall card dm when it comes to uh and he's he's got like a military background anyway so he plays the rebels in what feels like quite an authentic way mm-hmm. and so when it comes to X-Wings and equi- equipment and stuff like that, we're like, he's like, he has all his NPC characters be very like ragtag with it and whatnot. And it feels like I'm in the hangar scene from like a new hope, you know, yeah, yeah, it yeah. feels like I'm in that. And it, and it's like, this is amazing. You know, but I probably wouldn't have that same feeling if I never watched a Star Wars film. Right. I'd just be like, Oh, this is cool. You know, this is a um, hangar. This is there's there's airplanes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, uh, an X foil. What's that? Um, but uh, it so there is a benefit, I think, to to bring in some of those characters. You you have to have restraint with it, though. I think you have to uh, mm-hmm. treat it with its due respect. And like I say, you don't want Luke Skywalker popping up in every side quest. Uh, no. In, it, it dilutes the experience somewhat. Um, like, they take the uh, Battlefront 2 campaign where every four seconds some you famous character is turning up, and I'm just like, ah, man, we are really relying on the base material here, guys. I mean, mate, um, that's what Star Wars has done for the past God knows how many years. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's not good. And then they had Luke come in and slash up bugs in a mission. That was a great use of <laughs> the Jedi's time. Let's not talk about Battlefront 2's campaign. Um, I <sighs> think as well, with Dragon Heist, there's a lot of famous faces, more so than I would put in any campaign normally. But that's kind of the beauty of it, I think. Um, when you're... Let's look at... Uh, let's look at Tim Annihilation, for example. We talked about how... Um, Artemis, is it Artemis? No. Uh, oh God, what's his name? Don't ask me, Ben. You don't know the bloke with the Ring of Winter. He turns up, um, and you know it's it's very much its own side thing. And then the main villain is a Serac who has a massive history. God, his history is so detailed in um, in D and D. And it's like, okay, there's my two nice fun cameos and then i might put maybe one more in somewhere if it fits but that would be it you know maximum and that's a whole campaign that's going to go over the course of months in real time so i think there is a a beauty to understanding when and how to use these sort of i guess they are kind of cameos really but it's more than that because they they play a specific role 
with um with Waterdeep, I've tried to I've tried to put in the feeling that these characters have a history. So my approach, this is this is how I do it. When I know I when I know you're gonna come up against someone who is famous, quote unquote, I make sure I know enough about their their immediate history. So I knew that the Black Staff was going to become a big part of the game because she can be in the story anyway. But I knew that the wizard that I had 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 built his backstory around like you know revering her and and wanting to be part of Force Grey and and stuff like that. Um, so I made sure I knew her immediate history, and then my option always okay, let's go back and look at the history of the Black Staff in in a whole. Um, you know with. Uh, who can I use that you haven't met yet? So when looking at Jarl Axel, you guys have really only just met him for the first time properly, and you, you guys have been invited to dinner on the Eyecatcher, so on his ship. When looking at Jarl Axel, I was like, right, okay, let's learn the immediate. Who is he? What does he do? What does he want? And then it's like, do I need more to build his character out? And with Jarl Axel, I think the more you know, the better, because he is such an interesting character. And that stuff isn't necessarily going to come out. Like, you might not hear about his time years ago when he lived in uh, in the Underdark. Why would that come up in the game? It's not relevant. But me knowing that informs the way he talks and acts that his wants and and if you wanted to ask a question like well why are all these drow up on the on the top surface world why are you here then i have an answer for you and it's it's that kind of thing that we've talked about before of knowing a character's wants desires how far they would go for something it's all that stuff it's all your your kind of world bible for just that character and it can be a bit daunting but you just kind of learn it over time like i know so much useless stuff about the realms <laughs> now so much stuff that just has has no bearing on anybody but it's fun that i know it you know and ben, ben, uh, i think i need to tell you something okay everything we talk about on this show is, is uh, useless in the grander context of um life i don't so... i don't understand what do you mean uh, I mean, it's a it's a fictional game with basically no bearing on anything important ever. So I don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't understand those words in that sentence in that mm-hmm. order. That doesn't. It's okay. You'll come to yeah. Look, denial is like what stage one in it, you know. So sure, you'll get there. You'll get there. Should we um? Should we take a break and talk about some dice? Well, Ben, when you put it like that, why not? Uh, so we are partnered with the Dice Dungeon UK. Some fabulous guys who we I, we can call them friends now, can't we? Sure, of course, of course. I mean, we can call them friends. I don't know what they would call yeah, us. Whether they but... call us friends, yeah. Um, we've we have a we have a nice little Discord chat with with Ben and and Dave. Um, they're really great guys. They they make and uh, they well they sell really really nice metal crafted dice, clinky clanky mafrocks we like to call them. Um, from the UK, but also across the world. The aim being that when we in the UK want some nice mafrocks, we don't have to pay a massive import tax. Um, they have just launched a new set uh, or a few sets of resin dice as well which are a little bit cheaper if you don't want to buy some nice uh, expensive middle ones uh, and if you use the code we speak common on checkout you'll get 10% off your order so you know treat yourself why not it's been a tough year so far <laughs> oh they've, they've as well they told us I, I don't know if we're allowed to say this oh 
Let me check. Hang on. <laughs> Talk amongst yourself. Um, we have, I mean, we have been told off before for revealing. Yeah, we really um, have. What can be considered sensitive information. Every time uh, Ben shows us something now, he's like, by the way, this is something you can't talk about. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it really his fault for continuing yeah. to uh, to show us? Like, uh, at what point, you know... He just He's a tease. He needs, he needs to take some responsibility yeah, for come his on, actions. Ben. It's, it's okay? your fault, not ours. Exactly. Um, exactly. I'm taking responsibility for the situation by telling him it's his fault. Yeah, there okay. you go. I can't find out whether I'm allowed to say this or not, so I'm just going to say it. Um, because <laughs> I, I, I think it's best to beg for forgiveness, not ask for permission. Um, you can buy really nice tins when you order your dice, right? If he's listening to this, he's sitting there going, oh God, what's he going to say? Um, and you can either get a tin or you can't. They've now got some really nice pouches, so if you don't want a tin, you can get you can get your dice in a really nice little pouch. So that, see, that was all. See, I like that because whilst the tin is a nice like unboxing feeling. Oh, it's really nice. You never put them back in the tin, do you? Because then it's just too much work. Do you not? You know? No. See, Joe, no. this is this is you all over with your character sheets, folding them up and leaving them tea stained. I put my dice back in their box every single session, and and I put them in the right cutouts as well. Currently, I have like three or four sets, as long, along with a folded up character sheet in a Audio Technica headphone bag. Uh, is what I'm using what, to just, carry all my stuff what? right now. They're loose. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Along with my folded, um, so you my uh, my character sheet. Like you can hear it. You can hear it. No, Look, I'm, 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 I'm unfurling it now. See, no. yeah, and now I'm yeah, and now I'm folding it back up. Okay. So you telling me that when you move that bag around, all the dice just clink into each other? Yes, Ben, because they're they're pretty much all made of metal and can endure such hardships. And what if they get scratched or chipped or something? Well, Ben, Dice Dungeon, Ben, uh, they don't oh. scratch or uh, or clink, clink, you know. Well, I mean, they, they, they do, they do clink. They're metal. No, they no, they smash into each other, Ben, with uh, many pounds of force and come out unscathed due to the high pristine quality. Amazing, amazing. Um, put them back in the box, you heathen. Anyway, look, go and check out the website. And uh, while you're over there, you can check out a blog post that we wrote that came out a couple of weeks ago, if you want. Um, I, I can't, Ben, because I'm, current, I'm currently using my Dice Dungeon um, tin to uh, store £20 notes that I don't <laughs> want to carry around. So Why? Uh, why are you doing that? You know, they're just safe. They're secure, you know, in there. I, I will remember where they are. You Otherwise, know, banks exist, right? Yes, Ben, but I'm not popping out very much at the moment, am I? Yeah, that's true. You know, in the world-ending pandemic. So what you're saying is if I were to ever break into your house, I just need to look for the Dice Dungeon tin. Essentially, yeah, I've revealed that information now. <laughs> you to, really uh, have, yeah. I don't know, a thousand people or whatever. Uh, um, that's that's yeah, an well, optimistic number, Joe. Come on. Jokes on them. I have multiple dice tins, okay? <laughs> and most of them have nothing but regret in them. Okay? Wow. See, this is you now need to put a plea into Ben to send us more dice because otherwise people are going to know where your where your twenty pound notes are hidden. That's it. Yeah, I need a few more tins just to scatter about oh. to throw off the uh, would be burglars. Good news. I've just gone onto Twitter and an hour ago the Dice Dungeon tweeted that they have upgraded their tins. So um, I think I think we're I think I think we're okay in our reveal. <laughs> Oh, that's all right then. Um, while right. we're on this, before I before we jump back into the the main topic, um, we I, we got a tweet. I think it was 
yesterday, someone tweeted to say that uh, they just listened to last week's episode. Is this about? Is, is this about the hooves? They wanted to clarify that in the Sword Coast Adventurous Guide, Wizards of the Coast added the option for tieflings to have hooves just to set our grievances. And I said, "Would well, you know what? That's great, but we are feet men, so." Yeah, no, I'm not. The hoof thing, I'm just, uh, I'm just not on board with the whole process for it, to be honest. No, um, I, I don't like it. As, as Sword Coast Adventures Guide is is banned in my games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're playing a rogue and you want, uh, what is it? The your, your lovely bonus action attack spell thing. What's it called? You mean booming blade? Is That's that the one. Mean? Look, I'm I'm burnt out, man. My brain is frazzled. Yeah, booming blade. <laughs> yeah, no, I do like booming blade on the old rogue. Uh, it sort of reveals your position due to the booming nature of the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a nice little damage bump. It's quite fun as well, just to stab something and have it go, you know, like a big thunderous roar. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's like a it's like a cheer. It's like a, a laugh track, you know, um, <laughs> an angry one. <laughs> great okay um so look established npcs let's talk about the the process what would you do if for example in star wars you had to role play anakin skywalker because you know a lot about about star wars um well how would i go about this i suppose uh i would use them in very limited uh in a very limited way right uh i think the more famous and powerful the character, the less you want them to directly interact with the players and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have done this to some degree uh, where my I was running the Star Wars, like Clone Wars um, campaign for my brother. And he was, it was quite fun. We started him off. He's like a little Mon Calamari. He's like age four, <laughs> joins, the, joins the Jedis. Do you know we, why? We had- you know why they don't, the Jedi don't, don't teach children that are above a certain age. It's because when you're older, you're harder to brainwash. Well, yeah, basically. Uh, but luckily, he was very susceptible to the washing of the brain at that age. And we played it. It's quite fun. He sort of aged up fairly rapidly through like a couple of sessions. We did like uh, some classic sort of uh, Yoda training sessions. We did some duels. They did their... Um, they went to Ilum and, and built their lightsaber, found their crystal, constructed nice. it, got given their masters. And what, those not met his yet um, because he's uh, currently at war and uh, the Mon Calamari now crashed in the middle of a jungle. So, uh, I mean, besides the point, but as in a lot of these scenes, he was like walking around the Jedi Temple, right? And I would just be like, yeah, okay, you're walking around, blah, blah, blah. Oh, give me a... Uh, like a history check equivalent of, right? Or a law check. And he'd be like, okay. But, oh, yeah, so you walk by. You know that. Yeah, that's uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He, he he just walked by. He was going somewhere. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know? And he's like, uh, oh, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm like, no, you can't. You're a little shitty, you know, youngling, okay? And you've got to go to class. Yeah. So <laughs> you got you got <laughs> Jedi texts to study. Um, but I know I brought in some more like B-tier-ish Jedi Masters, right? Uh, people you've seen from the films and stuff, <laughs> but uh, but are not too um, important. Like, so has like, has Yaddle made an appearance in your Star Wars game yet? Yaddle has made a very brief appearance. No, I, I didn't even name her though. I didn't name her. I just like vaguely described it. She was that's like, amazing. 
she was hanging out in the Jedi Temple. Um, and then we had uh, oh, what's his name? Why am I blanking on his name? We had Chak T in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yoda was obviously there because he was like teaching one of the classes and took them to Ilum and stuff, which is like his classic, uh, you know, that's what he does. Grand Jedi master order whatever job that he does um and then we had uh oh, what's his name why am i forgetting this like the the green guy the uh uh the one who gets absolutely murked by sidious in the, <laughs> in the last you know what i've got my notes here i'm gonna go because uh, this is actually aggravating me now that i can't the green remember. guy which was... oh there we go kit, kit fisto oh kit, kit fisto. fisto yeah 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 but it was interesting because as i was running him i like um kit fisto was the one who basically found my, my brother's character right on mon calamari and um uh, on mon calam and basically brought him to the jedi temple so it's kind of assumed that he was going to take him on as a padawan mm. uh but then kit fisto couldn't because he was like bruh already got a padawan and then i had to go and like <laughs> go on wikipedia and find out who his padawan was and <laughs> Who, who was also a Mon Calamari, by the way. So that was a fun little, uh, ah. fun little thing. It was all, it's all tied together. Um, my brother's character is called Chow Ming as well for nice. some reason. Nice. <laughs> you know, uh, I was like, do, do you want like a maybe a more law specific name? He's like, no, no. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then he, like I say, he crashed his uh, LAAT uh, gunship and is now in the jungle, stranded with a couple of um, couple of clones. We've got um, nice. Uh, we've got a clone called Money and a clone called what's the other clone called? I can't even remember. How embarrassing, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really embarrassing. But um, yeah, so he's just out there in the desert, basically. Oh, not in the desert, in the, in jungle, the jungle. Sorry struggling to survive getting you know shot at by droids it's really fun to play the droids actually like as a dm just to be roger rogering <laughs> all, all the time you yeah, know it's, I, I uh, bet. it's uh yeah it's good fun but like i say for i i try to use those kind of characters at a distance I've, if i was going to play anakin skywalker or whatever i would have him like i say just be almost like set dressing in the background mm. And if I had to have him interact, it would be very minimal. I wouldn't want him because then it kind of becomes like the player characters are the side characters in a movie character's story, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not very fun to me. I don't want that. I don't want the focus to be taken off of them Mm. as as characters. That doesn't seem like the correct way to do things because then they become... I don't know. They, they, it's like a. They're, they're almost like the, the whole D and D game becomes like a spin-off show of the main show, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I want it to be its own main thing. Uh, it's similar to like DM uh, NPCs or DMPCs. You want to really limit their yeah, yeah. capabilities and involvement so they don't begin to steal all of that that spotlight. So yeah, the, it, I, I think the key there is to limit yourself or use restraint when using those type of characters. So your approach is quite similar to mine. I will, you know, find the character I'm using, or if I'm if I'm presented one in a book that's going to be part of the story, I will I will go and learn about them. I'll go and look at their their realmspedia or whatever page it's called. You know, I'll I'll find their history. I'll find out as much as I need to know. 
And then I, my approach is to make them feel like they are busy, like they're doing stuff. Because what I find is with the Black Staff and with like the Open Lord or, or um, if you were going to run Dragon Heist as it's written one to five, like Jalaxel is going to kill your party if they if they get in a fight. So I like to make it feel like they are just they are as you would expect them to be. They are these revered like they they're not revered but they're known. You know they're they're quote unquote famous. But what that means is that they're they're doing stuff that's more important than than you sometimes. So if you were going to play in a Lord of the Rings game and Gandalf was going to turn up, like he's going to do what he did and say oh you guys go and do this i need to go and deal with this other problem that's you know you're not going to be able to cope with i'm going to go and deal with it it's that kind of feeling but when the characters begin to level and as we do in our water deep i like to put them on the same page so our character um who's a wizard james plays um kiro he reveres the black stuff and he one day wants to be the black stuff like that's his character's goal he's lived in Waterdeep his whole life and he like like that's such a cool thing for him so when he had the opportunity to meet her he was like absolutely and then he started working for her and she's given him a mission and said like okay I need you to do this because you've proved yourself time and time again you're you're clearly much more capable than I actually thought you were like he go go and do this for me and as he walked out she's like oh and you know welcome to Force Grey made his day like that's what he that's one of his goals and he's achieved it and now at this point he doesn't have to like book an appointment with her he can just go knock on her door and walk into the office and be like yo bitch I got some news for you because they are beginning to get onto the same level so for me if this character with lore this character with lots of history is in the game i want it to feel like yeah they've got their own stuff going on because every character in my game does but because they're known to be quite powerful they are doing stuff that's you know you don't even need to think about it's stuff that you're not you're not concerned with um Mm. and then when you get to the point where you're on the same level and you talk to them it's it's never i'm trying to avoid that feeling of you being in their story because your story is about how you've got to this point of power you've got to the same level as as this revered person so that when you talk to each other you talk as peers so you're both on your own journeys you're both on your own stories but you can go and ask her for an opinion on something um Mm. it's a bit trickier with villains i think like curse of strad is pretty much renowned for being a great adventure and i think one of the reasons is because strad is uh, obviously he's got a lot of history ravenloft has a lot of history within the game and a lot of lore anyway and the way you utilize strad is much like you would at first is that he is kind of he's always there but he's not there so he'll make an appearance and, and i think the way i did him originally was like he turned up and made an appearance at one point and then you know the characters went off and it was a long time and then he appeared again and then the third time he appeared they'd done something to really piss him off and um that's when he became like the villain before he was just kind of toying with them like a kid playing with spaghetti and then he decided actually no now i'm gonna eat you and if you if you take him and you look at his law and you work out how you're gonna be him in mannerisms and in voice and stuff like that and then you work out how you're going to utilize him i think that character yeah have him appear make a make some sort of gesture and then disappear and be gone for a long time make him not actually present but his presence always felt and you're mm. you know you're achieving that kind of uh grandiose kind of historical 
uh, what's the word um uh, that persona and that presence that he he commands you're feeling it without actually having him follow the party around the slavic woods for example yeah yeah i know what you mean it's interesting like even in i think this is key, key with villains sort of across the board sort of well established or not is that like with my villain the well, i suppose he's only considered a villain to to some people right but this main perhaps antagonist for this next arc of of my game is someone that you can obviously directly confront right he's gonna be somewhere in the world at all times you can mm-hmm. find him and uh, and battle it out if you wish but he's also got a lot of forces at play around him and things going on that will be interfering or colliding with the player's intentions a lot so i'll be interested to see if he does become more of a background string puller or if the players are more like beelining directly to confront him or if they sort of don't really care about that conflict at all right and they yeah they, they do other stuff uh, it could could go anyway so I'll, I'll be interested to see because i'm really limited on how uh, i can pull this is certainly the most complex planning i've ever done for a dnd game because it's very very open-ended like so so open-ended in how things can go right mm. and it really depends on just what are the players motivations what do they want to do and because i've got two brand new players i don't really know what drives them at the moment right and what I can't, it's very difficult for me to predict what they're going to want to do. The other two characters, I've, I've got a good idea, you know? Yeah. I understand their motivations and what they want to do. But these two new characters, especially, who are very tied to the setting, it's really open for me. So I'm trying to sort of plan for all eventualities, but, it, <laughs> you know, that's that's like an impossible uh, target to reach. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, how you guys handle it. But with the, the villain, I can't really plan for his degree of involvement it really is down to the players and what they want to do and i think that's a really interesting um an interesting development because like for for Waterdeep, jarl axel has become a lot more involved than i thought he was going to be when i was prepping or however many decades ago it was that i started playing this campaign and um uh, like you guys are going to go and sit down with him and chat to him and he's going to put potentially put his cards on the table and but you might go and you might you know light his ship on fire and sink it and then he's gonna take a very different approach to you so it really does depend um on on what you guys do and i guess that's the beauty of D in general uh, there's um, yeah but what's, what's a bit of light arson between well, friends oh you know? yeah exactly he's got three ships in a submarine he'll be fine he doesn't um, need another one <laughs> uh this one's got a steam room in it though joe this is his ship he might invite you into the steam room. Who knows? Um, well, that'd be nice. That would be nice, wouldn't it? There's a villain in, uh, quite unquite villain because Jalaxel is technically a villain, but you you could be end up working with him, um, that you guys haven't met yet. Who you keep you keep referring to as the solo party, the solo person player, and I'm like, oh, yeah, kinda. Um, and I'm really looking forward to when they become known because they are a character with an awful lot of history and all of the other and this is the benefit of Waterdeep all of the other NPCs that have histories will will know of this person and they're going to have a reaction to his presence in the city they're going to be like oh shit what 
why, how, when, where, etc., etc. This we've got to do something. So this character has been very secretive because of their history. Now, for James and for me, if I were a player, I'd understand the reaction. I'd know the the relevant information to be like, oh god, yeah, as a player this is cool, this is a big thing. As a character, I'm going to roleplay because I don't make a game. But for you, you might know a little bit, but you're not going to know a lot. So you're, you as a player are going to go in genuinely feeling like, I don't understand, why are we, why, what does this mean? And then it gets to come out in the game and that's the stuff that I like because that's when you get to experience as a player and a character, your DM delivering what is essentially exposition but in their their own way and you get to learn snippets of a character's history and then you get to feel like they have more to give that you could just delve into if you wanted to and that's what i like to give across to Hmm. yeah there's a i like it when players have a sense that they could always dig deeper right and be rewarded for it that's why i I like to plan a lot because i I like to at least give off the sense that this is well thought out you know Um, and i think there's there's something to be said for dnd games that are very off the cuff and very uh, improvised on the on the part of the dm i think there's a lot of fun for those but i think that what I really like is when, especially when I'm playing as well, I like the feeling that my, my DM really knows what they're doing, you know, and yeah. they have a, a plan and they're, it's a, like a, a curated experience that's been cared for. And I think that giving that sense of depth to characters, especially villains, is something that really, um, really pushes that forward and makes that feeling uh, sort of well known in in the player's headspace and I, it's not something you really consciously say you know like oh that seemed like a well thought out session but it's like uh, <laughs> something you feel it's just, yeah it's just something you feel you know when you when you're in the moment and everything's going right you're like damn this is a this is a meaningful bit of gameplay right here this is a well-oiled machine i like to um with james particularly because uh, obviously but we work quite close together in our world building whenever he runs me a descent game i always like to drop him a message afterwards and be like dude and i mean i don't i don't do it because i have to like literally every session he's run me recently i've texted him afterwards and i'm like mate i don't know how you keep raising the bar but you keep doing it so you know it's it's good to give your dm some love they put a lot of work in um but i get i get where where you're coming from you know you don't you don't you don't just jump out of character and say guys this is the dm's done a good job here today well done (laughs) that'd be a bit weird yeah no but it's like i say it's and you can sort of tell you know as a dm when you've done a good job because players just uh they react in a a way and here's the thing like not every session is going to be golden you know you need the highs and the lows otherwise Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's no uh sense of perspective but i think that when you do have those super high sessions that you've been building up to for a while, that's that's where the real payoff is as a DM. And you're like, yes, it's all coming together. Mm. The other thing as well, I think that that does that is when you you know the like, yeah, if you've got a really good, well established feeling, great, but also give them relationships. So like, Jalaxel, each of his ships has a captain. Each of that captain is named and has a personality. And that's a really those those characters are obviously nowhere near as deep as Jalaxel will be but they have a depth to them that adds to that kind of that feeling of oh yeah there's 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 planning here 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting to give your because the relationships that your NPCs have is what makes them as characters, basically, right? It's what gives them sort of purpose in the world a lot of the time. Mm. Uh, I think it's, it's very difficult to make like a loner NPC um, feel realized because you can do it, right? But they need to have very sort of intrinsic motivations elsewhere, right? And goals and feelings and whatnot. Whereas it, it's much easier to do it with a character who's very tied into the world of NPCs and well, yeah, well, other NPCs and relationships that they have. It's for, like if you're struggling to give them like an NPC sort of that kind of weight, I always think like give them a family or a brother or a sister mm-hmm. or someone like that with a bit of history. And they don't even have to be massively prominent, but just knowing that they're there, that they came from something that's physical in the world, uh, there is a physical manifestation of my childhood in that my brother is alive and well and I know him and I have a relationship with him, right? Yeah. That it, that's like a physical representation of my history right there. And when in the rare moments you see two NPCs interact that have that history, it's like you're getting a glimpse into their past just by how they act around each other and whatnot. I think that's pretty interesting. It's why obviously family dynamics are quite a, a good point to um, – to work off when trying to flesh out characters in film, TV, whatever. Mm. And so it works really well. I mean, if you look, look like game of Thrones, like how much do you learn about a character's history just from when like Jon Snow and Catelyn Stark interact, you learn basically everything about the characters mm. in the, like three minutes. They, they talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. So, in in uh, all like nine seasons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's massive. So that can really give depth to, uh, to characters as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. God, there's a lot there. We've been talking for over an hour now. Yeah, dear, dear, crazy does, stuff. Does not feel like it. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said on this subject, and we'll probably we keep jumping back onto it from time to time over the the course of us talking about nonsense D and D stuff. So, um, yeah, if you have any questions, queries, worries, or concerns, or um, any just interesting insights on the way you do this uh get in touch with us we speak common at uh we speak common at hotmail.com for the email at we speak common for twitter or we speak common.com <sighs> nearly nearly got it right that time wow only 100 odd episodes in as well you know no, this is 95 okay so we're, we're not at the big one oh yet although good segue joe we are going to be doing something special for the big one oh no wait one oh is 10 big one double oh <laughs> look i'm very tired okay it's been a long week um yeah we are gonna we are gonna do something uh for the big 100 episode so i don't know just stick around man you know if you've if you've been thinking god 95 episodes is a lot i don't know if i can keep going it's just five more just just do five more you know five more and then you can just uh you know you'll be free yeah if you want to call it quits after that we won't blame you i mean you know at least get 100 in you know to see if you like it or I mean, it's been going on for this long. And I mean, once you've got to 100, you might as well get to 104 because then you've been going for two years. So, <laughs> all right. Wow. Okay. This is how we this is how we string the audience on. Um, mate, I need to go and have some lunch before we play D&D. And we got like, I don't know, 10 minutes. So, um, thanks. This has been a really great chat and actually a really good prep before running a game. So, thank you. Oh, that's all right, Ben. You know, anytime, mate. Anytime. Next weekend.
Well, we'll see. We'll see when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll speak to you later. Bye bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favor leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive.